Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. So good to be worshiping together today. Years ago, Ann Orland wrote this little book called Up With Worship. And she started the book with this little thing. When I was little, we used to play church. We'd get the chairs into rows, fight over who'd be preacher, vigorously lead the hymn singing, and generally have a great carnal time. The aggressive kids naturally wanted to be up front, directing or preaching. The quieter ones were content to sit and be entertained by the upfronters. Occasionally, we'd get mesmerized by a true sensationalistic crowd swear, like the little girl who said, Boo! I'm the Holy Ghost. But in general, if the upfronters were pretty good, they could hold the, their audience for quite a while. If they weren't so good, eventually the kids would drift off to play something else like jump ropes or jacks. Now that generation has grown up, but most of them haven't changed too much. Every Sunday they still play church. They line up in rows for the entertainment. If it's pretty good, their church may grow. If it's not too hot, eventually they'll drift off to play something else like yachting or wife swapping. Biting, isn't it? And sadly, often too close to true. You know, too often we treat faith as if it were a game to play or a play to perform rather than a life to live and a purpose to pursue. We've been talking about foundations because, I don't know, man, I just felt the need for us to go back to the core things, to remember why we're here and what we're about. Because we live in a world that, man, it just feels like more than ever, it's in flux and everything is changing. And when I feel that way, I got to go back to my roots and I got to find that solid ground. So we go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. So let's take our Bibles because that's our text. We call this the Great Commission. These are among the last things Jesus said to his people. He's met with his disciples, he's already been resurrected. Jesus came and told his disciples, he said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So all of the authority that God has bestowed on Jesus, he's saying, in essence, I'm now giving to you. Therefore, in that authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And from that passage, I sort of lift out five core values, five foundation stones upon which our church must be built. Last time we talked about the message. He said, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we can extrapolate from that the understanding that he's talking about all of God's revelation, which is contained in his word. And so the Bible becomes our ultimate authority. I can't change that. I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. I simply have to live under it, and I have to be obedient to it. And when I walk in that obedience, God blesses my life, and He blesses our ministry. But this morning, I want to talk about our mission. M.L. Bruner said that the church exists on mission as fire exists on burning. And when churches forget 
their mission, their fire goes out. And you can see examples of this everywhere you look, all over the place. Of churches, they still exist, they still meet, but they don't seem to have a purpose and they don't seem to have any fire. And so I don't ever want us to lose that. And and so I began to pray and ask God, well, teach me about mission. Show me what mission is. Show me why it's so important and how it's vital and what it means for us. And so coming from this text, here's the first thing I see. The mission is always personal. You know, the word you is not in that great commission. He doesn't say you therefore go, but it's implied. And the implication is, now he's talking to his disciples, but he's really talking to them, through them, to us. And he's saying to us, you, you personally, not not you collectively, you personally, every single one of us, every one of us who, who knows Jesus, has a relationship with Jesus, has a calling from Jesus. Bonhoeffer says what Christ does for a man is also and at the same time what he expects of that man. And so God has called us, you, whoever you are, you, therefore, go. Now, you may hate the sound of that. It's like, look, I'm all about this church thing, but I'm not a missionary, right? I'm not ordained. Uh, Being on mission sounds awkward. Uh, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel capable. And I don't like to travel. Because the idea is, if I, if I buy into this mission idea, I'm going to find myself on an airplane somewhere headed for Africa. And that is not something that I'm interested in. Let me just say this. First of all, yeah, it's awkward. I don't know any way around it. I don't have a great explanation for that. But when you bring Jesus into the conversations of daily life, there will be awkward moments. And I've got to tell you, you know, you expect me to have all the answers and to know all the right things. I don't. And when I'll have a conversation with somebody, and oftentimes the closer they are to you, the harder it is to have that conversation. And I bring Jesus into that conversation. I feel as awkward as you do. You know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to come across as judgy. I don't want to do any of that. And yet here's where I came down. Yeah, it's awkward, but you got to love them enough to be awkward. But here's the good news. You don't have to be qualified or capable. Remember what he said? All authority has been given to me. That means that I'm under the authority of Jesus. Now, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the commanding verse to this verse. So let's go over there to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And Jesus says to his disciples, but... You know, Howard Hendricks says that but is the most important word in that whole verse. He said prior to that, they were saying, Jesus, is this the time you're going to restore your kingdom? Is this the time we're going to get our seats? Is this the time where it's all going to be about us? He says, it's not for you to know the times and epics, but here's what I do want you to know. You'll receive power. You don't do this in your own strength. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? So stop worrying about traveling. Uh, go in, uh, in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, is not a command like, I've got to, okay, for me to do the mission, I've got to go over here so I can do the mission over here. That's not it at all. It's a participle. And the word means as you're going or while you're going, wherever you're going, you bring the gospel to bear with you as you go. You don't go to do a mission. You do the mission as you go. 
Look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to them, you will be my witnesses. And that word witness is a word martyr. It later came to me, someone who dies for their faith. But at that time, it's, it simply meant a person who testifies to a truth they know. It's someone who testifies in a court of law. All you've got to do is tell what you know. You tell your story. And look where you start, in Jerusalem. Why is that important? Well, where were they when he, when he told them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world? Where were they? Do you know? They were in Jerusalem. So he's saying, start where you are. You don't go somewhere else. You don't have to get on a plane to go to Africa. You may be called to that. And some of us are called to that from time to time. But that's not everybody's calling. The, the commission is you take the gospel with you wherever you go. You testify to what you know. You give them what you've been given. And you know what that means? That means that we're all responsible. It's my job to tell my story. It's your job to tell your story. And your story will resonate with some people, and my story will resonate with others. But we just tell people what Christ has done for us. Here's the key. Invest and invite. That's really the strategy for fulfilling our mission. We build meaningful relationships with all people, Christian, non-Christian, everybody. And it's not a fake relationship. You know, you're not trying to do something just so that you can somehow cram the gospel into it, you know. And if a tricycle had a spare, how many wheels would it have? Four. Speaking of four, has anybody ever shared with you the four spiritual laws? You ever get that? <laughs> no. Invest means I build authentic, transparent, meaningful relationships with people. All people. It means I love people. But I also bring the gospel with me into those relationships. I invite. You know, this past weekend, we went down to Groves, Texas. That's where my wife Amy's from, Groves, Texas. Anybody know where Groves, Texas is? Down by Beaumont, Port Arthur, PNG Indians, Port Natchez, Groves. Well, she's the Groves part of that. And we went to her mama's house. It was her mama's birthday. So we went to celebrate her mama's birthday. Same house Amy grew up in. And it was, it was interesting. Uh, we were in, in the house and uh, in, the, in the hallway, the, her sister Jean had the middle bedroom and Amy had the bedroom on the right. And between those two bedrooms, there was a shelf kind of built into the wall. And I looked at my son Andrew and I said, you know what that shelf's for? And he goes, no. I said, that's where they put the phone. He's like, what? I said, yeah, there was a phone on that shelf. And when, and when you talk to one of the girls, they talked on that phone. He's like, they stood in the hallway and talked on the phone? I'm like, no, they had like a 30-foot long cord. And they would carry that phone, you know, it's like zing, zing. And they'd carry that phone into their bedroom. And that's where I would talk to Amy when we were dating because we were long distance, you know, for a couple of years, uh, hundreds of miles apart. I said, you know, the funny thing is, I didn't even have a phone. I couldn't afford a phone. So when I wanted to talk to Amy, I would go to a pay phone. I always had a whole bunch of quarters because you needed quarters to play Pac-Man and Donkey Kong. And you needed quarters uh, to do your laundry. And you needed quarters to call somebody on the phone. And so I'd stand at a, you know, at a phone booth in the corner and call Amy. And she's in her bedroom on that long cord. And I thought, how much things have changed today, you know? Here's the funny thing. I could go for weeks and never talk to anybody on a cell phone. Can you, even imagine, can you even fathom that now? There was no texting. There was none of that. I would go weeks, sometimes months, without talking to my parents. That, I didn't have a phone. Think about it today. 
You ever, you ever get in the car and leave and go, oh, 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 forgot my phone. What do you do? I don't need it. Just keep going. Is that what you do? You immediately turn around. Because you can't go five seconds without that phone. You got that phone on right now. Some of you are like texting in your pocket. You know, <laughs> you can do that. That's what you do. Right? You carry that phone with you everywhere. You're totally committed to that phone. And I got to thinking about that. What would happen if we were as committed to the gospel as we are to our phones? Everywhere we went, we took it with them, with us. You know, Romans 13, 14 says, clothe yourself with Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. That means that Christ comes with you everywhere you go. He doesn't, you know, people always say, it's good to be in God's house. This isn't God's house. You're God's house. He lives in you. This is where we come to worship. This is where we come to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be taught and trained. But this isn't where we, where we do life. We do life all out there. And Jesus goes with us wherever we go. That's what, it's, that's what he's talking about. Um, think about it. Why would someone get up and come up here to church? Well, I mean, mom and dad made them come. Yeah, that's right. But I'm, I'm talking about the person who never thinks about Christ. He wakes up on Sunday mornings and his only thought is, wonder what time the football game starts. Who's playing when, right? Or I wonder if the crappie are biting or the white perch. Crappie in Texas, white perch in Louisiana, right? I, I wonder if that's going. That's, that's all the thing. What's going to cause that guy to want to get up and come here? You say, well, you know, she's hurting or she's lonely or she's spiritually hungry. Man, I know a world filled with hurting, lonely, spiritually hungry people who aren't coming here. Why would they come? I think back on my old pagan self. What would have gotten old pagan Bill to come to a church? Can you imagine a situation where I would have just gotten up on Sunday morning and gone to a church I don't know, walked into a room I don't know, and saw a bunch of strange people I don't know or care about? You might as well expect me to walk into a Buddhist temple. There's no way that's going to happen. Why did I come? Because somebody cared enough to have a relationship with me, and she invited me to come, and I cared enough about her to take up her invitation. It's always personal. We can't create a program that's attractive enough to draw people. Billboards aren't going to bring them. All of our fancy social media, not going to bring them. None of that's going to bring It's up to us individually, collectively, as people to, to talk to people and to invest and invite. Because the mission is personal. Secondly, the mission is proactive. Jesus did not say, sit down, make yourself comfortable, relax, enjoy each other until I get back. Somebody make some coffee. Oh, and if somebody shows up in town that's like you and seems to fit your style, you might accept them into your group. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? Go, therefore. It's proactive. It's not reactive. You take the initiative. We take that word that God has given us, and we bring it with us wherever we go. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that because we think that our calling is to come. And if we can get them, to, it's, we go. Fitzgerald told me the story. Jeff, you here? If I get it wrong, you correct me, okay? There's this, he, he ran into this guy named Grant Williams. Grant's daughter uh, plays on the ULM volleyball team. There she is. She plays on, she's from Indiana, came from Indiana. Go Hoosiers. My, only you were Indiana State, right? 
I don't know who they are. <laughs> Indiana University was the Hoosiers. My dad was a Hoosier. So uh, it's Grant Williams. He grew up in Clinton, Mississippi, played football. I think he's 6'7", like a million pounds. And when he walks by, there's like an eclipse. That kind of guy. You know what I'm talking about? Played football at Louisiana Tech. After that, was drafted by the Seahawks. So he goes out and plays for the Seahawks. And it just happens that while he's at the Seahawks, God is working on that team. And there's a chaplain there who somehow was connected to Tony Evans's church. And so they get this really profound spiritual connection on that pro football team where the guys really bond and they're walking with Christ and they're walking together. And it becomes one of the more spiritual teams in the league, which is interesting to me because Seattle's not known as a bastion for spirituality, right? Well, after three or four years, however many he was in, he becomes a free agent, which means he can now, you know, get a better offer from another team. And the Patriots wanted him. The problem was the Patriots' spiritual temperature was pretty cool in those days, not near the, the warmth of the huddle of the Seattle team. Um, and so he's struggling. Do I go to the Patriots? Do I not go to the Patriots? And, and somebody said, sit down and write a list of pros and cons. So he's got this piece of paper, and he writes this list of pros and cons. Why, are, why shouldn't I? I hope I'm not giving anything away. Am I true so far? Okay. Madeline, I'm okay? And so then uh, he's, he's sort of wrestling with it, and his... Uh, his chaplain comes in and he's like, man, I don't know what to do. I got this list of pros and cons. He said, first of all, tear up that list of pros and cons. He's like, wait, what? He's like, tear it up because you need to go to the Patriots. He said, what? He's, and here's what he said to him. And I thought this was so powerful. He said, you've been like a sponge here soaking everything up. You're saturated. It's time to go somewhere else and get squeezed. What a great way of putting it. You guys are saturated. You need to get squeezed. He left the team and went to the Patriots, and you know what happened? The Patriots became one of the most spiritual teams in the league at that time. Oh, and by the way, a little Lanyap, he won a Super Bowl. You know, God didn't call us to come here and sit, soak, and sour. He called us sometimes to get out of here and get squeezed. Because what's in you is what the world needs most, and you got to let, and that, that becomes something that's very proactive and willing. The last thing is the mission is fueled by love. This is not about growing a big church. I couldn't care less about that. I hope you all know that. I could not care less about growing a big church. This is not about political influence. I don't have any. I couldn't care less about that. I know you couldn't care less about it either. We're not trying to make anybody do anything or make anybody believe anything. or make, well, This isn't about building some kingdom on earth. It's not about that. It's 100% about loving people enough to care about them and to go and help them. We go because they need us. That's what it's about. I mean, look at the needs of this world through the eyes of Jesus. That's what the world forgets. That's what the church forgets. We forget to see the world the way Jesus did. You know what the greatest danger to a church is? The worst disease a church can get is ingrown eyeballs. And I see it all the time, man. They turn their eyeballs inward when they become so focused on themselves and what they want and what they prefer and what they like and how it ought to be the way they want it. You say, how in the world does that happen? Because they forget about Jesus. Jesus. 
They forget why he came. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he live the sinless life? Why did he teach us about the Father? Why did he go to the cross? What was his motivation? What does the Bible say? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he wanted to build a great big church. What did he do? God so loved, he gave. You got it? He loved people in the same way that God loves people. We're called to love people because love is the driving force of the gospel. It's the fuel for the mission. We got to think of this more like a life-saving station, you know? At a life-saving station, the calling of the people is to go help the people who are in trouble. And so when a boat starts to sink, what do they do at the life-saving station? They jump in their boats and they race out there. They try to get to the people, start throwing out life preservers and stuff because they're trying to help people not drown, right? Um, And why do they do that? Well, they care about people. But when a church stops caring about people, uh, it stops caring about its mission. And that's when it gets ingrown eyeballs. You say, how can that be? Well, it happens all the time. Here's how it works, okay? First thing is they turn from their purpose. The life-saving station stops going out to rescue people. You know what they say? It's a very subtle thing. We'll wait until they come. That's what they say. They stop going, stop being proactive and become reactive. And they forget about their purpose. They turn from their purpose. Then they turn into a club because nobody's coming there, somebody looks around and goes, why do we got all this life-saving equipment? Why do we got all this junk? We don't need that. Let's redecorate. And so they start to redecorate the place and say, hey, let's get these old nasty cots out of here and let's bring in some comfortable furniture. And so it becomes more comfortable for the members of the life-saving station. And suddenly the thing becomes more of a club. They still believe in helping victims Uh, but so few come, they figure it's just not their calling anymore, so they take up offerings to support other life-saving stations. Turn from your purpose, turn into a club, then they turn people away. Infrequently, a shipwreck, survivors who manage to swim to safety walk into the life-saving station all smelly and dripping wet, and the people in the life-saving club say, man, you can't come in here, you're going to mess this place up. Look what you're doing to the carpet. And then they say it. Isn't there another station somewhere that takes care of people like you? That's when they say it. And you know what happens when they say that? They stop being a club and they started becoming an exclusive club. And the staff is there to serve the needs of the members because we all know what? Membership has its privileges. And when a life-saving station becomes an exclusive club, they turn people off. They turn from their purpose, they turn into a club, they turn exclusive, and then they turn people off. People in the world talk about the life-saving club, but they aren't very kind because nobody wants to be part of something that's so far removed from its purpose, and finally God takes them out. Revelation 2.4, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They had moved from this church had moved from its first love. They had left it. And the warning is stark. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. When a life-saving station turns into an exclusive club, God stops blessing it and it dies of irrelevance. And it happened because they forgot about love. The mission is driven by love. 
The mission is born from love, fueled by love, and achieved through love. We go because we love. The, the world is broken. Do y'all know that? The world is fragmented. It's shattered. The art is fragmented. Look at the art. And the calling of the artist is to, to express the condition of his time. And the artist expresses the condition of his time. You see fragmentation in art. Politics are fragmented. Culture's fragmented. Marriage is fragmented. Families are fragmented. You know, I have a counseling friend that says the difference between today and in times past is when there's a divorce in the family. It used to be that the family split up, but now the family disintegrates. And the kids are kind of left on their own. Individuals are fragmented. It's a broken world filled with broken people. I see it all the time. There's a young man whose father never told him he has what it takes. By the way, dads, that's what your kids need to hear the most. They need to know they have what it takes. You got to pour that into them. This kid, you know, he, he always got a trophy. He got a trophy whether they won or lost. He got a trophy for participating. And it gave him a false sense of confidence that was quickly shattered when he realized he didn't have any competence. Because he didn't have any competence, he stopped believing in himself and began to feel like a failure. And it, uh, there was a fracture in his heart that eventually broke into pieces. And he's fragmented. Or maybe you did succeed and your whole world is wrapped up in your performance and you know that people will honor you as long as you can continue to achieve. But down inside, there's this feeling that maybe I'm not what everybody thinks I am, and maybe I'm a pretender and I'm not what they said I was. And there's this deep sense of fragmentation that can occur. You know, I see a lot of girls that are fragmented from objectification. They're valued for the parts of their body instead of the wholeness of their being. And strangely, through sexting and other ways, they're buying into this fragmentation by self-objectifying. I read a survey recently that... that Kids were asked, what percentage of the people in your class uh, routinely sex or have sexted on their cell phones? And you know what they said? 90%. I read a study of a school that did exit surveys for their, for their girls coming out. And they said, have you ever sent or received inappropriate images on your phone? And the answer was, a hundred percent of the girls said yes. And, 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 and people are trying to figure out why. This has never happened before. Why is this happening? They're doing all kinds of studies. And what effect does it have on their hearts? University of Melbourne study concluded the process of self-objectification leads women to experience unpleasant feelings such as shame and anxiety. If repeated, it can eventually lead to long-term psychological harm. We already knew this because sin shatters the soul and sin fragments us and we live in a fragmented world. The question isn't why did this happen? The question is what will make me whole again? We used to sing this old song. Do you remember it? Nothing but the blood. What will make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that was a reference to the cross. Christ on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, fully atoning for our sins, satisfying the justice of God, and offering the forgiveness of grace that says, I will put you back together. 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins and on his, in His body, on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Here's the key. For by his wounds you were healed. I can't explain it. 
but I know it's true. I've seen it and I've lived it. The love of God poured out through the Son makes whole what is fragmented. And that's why we go. We go to them for the same reason that Jesus came to us. And so as the North Monroe Church, as the body of Christ here in this place, we will always be about the mission of Jesus. We will be proactive, we will be personal, and we will be loving because it's not about us. It's about what God wants to do through us. And that's my commitment. Is that your commitment? Would we make the commitment? God, we are about your mission. And we're going to be loving, proactive, and personal. I'm not going to depend on somebody else to do it. It's about what I do, what you do through me. Will you make that commitment that you're going to be a part of that? It's not that you're going anywhere. You're going to take the gospel with you. You're going to clothe yourself in Christ. Now, let me say this. If you're broken, I want to say this to you. Jesus can make you whole. He'll make you whole. If you've never heard that before, hear it now. Jesus wants to make you whole. Just give your life to Him. Cry out to Him. You're like, I don't know the words to say. There's no perfect words to say. It goes something like this. Jesus, I'm a mess. Would you fix my mess? How's that? How about Jesus, I give all I know about me to all I understand about you. Does that work? How about Jesus, I just admit that I'm a sinner and I need the grace to cover my life. Would you come in? Because I'm going to give myself fully over to you, whatever that means. And the Bible says He will heal you. He'll take out that broken heart and He'll replace it with a whole one and He'll forgive your sins and He'll give you eternal life and He will make you whole. Do you want that? We want to offer it to you today. I'm about to pray and after I pray, I want to ask you if you need to be made whole, would you go see this area belong? We'll have some guys standing there and we'll have some guys back here. And you go and you're like, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. They'll help you with it, okay? If you've never been baptized, then it's time to follow Jesus and profess Him publicly and let other people know. You can, they'll set that up. If you, if you don't have a church home, you're kind of trying to do this on your own. Don't try to do this on your own. You need people. You need relationships. Come and be a part, okay? But I want to pray, and I want to make two commitments today. As the church, I want to make this commitment. We are committed to His purpose. Will you make that commitment with me? And then for those of you who are broken, I want to pray that God would make you whole. So let's just pray together right now. Father, we want to say as Your people right now that we will always be about Your mission. We confess to You, I will be about Your mission. And I will be proactive, and I will be personal, and I will be loving. It's not about me. So use me however you want. Heavenly Father, I pray for my, my friends here right now and those that can hear my voice online or through the radio, wherever, who are broken. Their hearts are broken. Their lives are broken. They just know something's not right. And they need to be healed. I pray that, that in this moment, they would just say yes to you. Just best they know how. God, I confess my sin. I admit my need. Receive you as my Savior. Fill my heart and make us whole. We thank you that that only comes through Jesus. Because by his stripes, we are healed. And Father, heal us in this moment. Deliver us from these addictions of this life. And let us be made whole. 
for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.